0: This is TV Podcast Industries episode 14 looking at New York Comic Con 2015 including Marvel, DC, The Walking Dead and everything in between. Welcome back to episode 14 of TV Podcast Industries. This is the New York Comic Con 2015 special where we will be looking at Gotham, Marvels, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Carter, Daredevil, Jessica Jones and of course The Walking Dead. And we'll be taking a look at the Artist Alley and the Merchandise Arena at the Javits Convention Center in New York, where New York Comic Con 2015 is held. Um, we also have a little bit of information on X-Files. Mm-hmm. I'm one of your hosts, John.
1: And I'm your usual producer, uh, slash this time co-host, Derek. Uh, delighted to be joining you again. I did join for one episode of uh, of the TV podcast industry's coverage of Hannibal, uh, and I'm delighted to be here for this. I'm usually the host of uh, Gotham TV podcast with John, and along with uh, Irene and John, uh, I'm one of the hosts for uh, Defenders TV podcast, our Marvel TV show podcast. Um, so yeah, I'm delighted to join you here for, uh, for TV podcast industries, and was delighted to go to New York Comic Con along with John uh, to... Which is probably the biggest now comic and TV convention in the US with about 150,000 uh, attendees over the course of the weekend. And we felt that a Absolutely. lot of the Absolutely. <laughs> we felt it. We smelt it. Uh-huh. And, um, we also heard
0: it. Um, some of these panels that we listened to raised the roof. Unfortunately, uh, for myself and Irene, there is no longer any Hannibal panel, um, at these since, uh, season three was the last, uh, season that we know of to date and for the foreseeable future uh, on the TV show. But hopefully um, there will be some American Gods panels uh, coming up um, at the conventions in the next few years as uh, Brian Fuller will be bringing American Gods to the TV screen. That's his Next project for absolute certainty. Yeah. Um, but we had a great, uh, great time at New York Comic Con and in the city of New York, where we got our kinky boots on as well. Where we <laughs> headed down to to the the theater that's showing uh, Kinky Boots. Um. But it was all. Great fun, uh, loads of people at the convention, um, all having a fantastic, fantastic time. Uh, we met some people from uh, our Gotham TV podcast that listen to us and who interact with us on Twitter. And we also got to to meet um, some of our uh co-podcasters, and friends on Twitter from our Defenders TV podcast as well. Um, And it's just to remind everyone that you can follow us on tvpodcastindustries.com forward slash iTunes or any other good podcast catcher such as Stitcher, Player FM, Podcast Addict, or Beyond Pod. Just search TV Podcast Industries. And of course,
1: we are on Twitter with our Twitter handle, at TV Pod Industries. That's right. That's right. And um, I know the next episode that we'll be doing is a, a recap of season 3 of Hannibal and uh, hopefully restarting our Hannibal coverage. Um on that show, which is going to be good fun, uh, getting Irene back and talking about those episodes, um, and hopefully we'll be, as we said, talking about American Gods and um, one of the big ones that we want to be talking about next year, I think, is going to be X Files as well. So, oh, yeah. do you want to have a little, uh, a little chat overall about uh, the experience at NYCC, John, and uh, going to New York Comic Con and uh, what it's like there? Why, how it's all set up? Well, it's set up in a huge way. I mean, the Javits Center is a
0: beast of a convention center. And, I mean, you could argue it's almost like three different conventions in one. You have all the merchandise area where you have the likes of, you know, Gentle Giant, uh, Kotobuki, um, who do all those figurines. You know, there's comic book sellers um, such as Midtown Comics in New York are there. Mm -hmm. There's the big sort of Marvel... areas in that merchandise hall selling figures and so on. There's Weta which that stand is just amazing with all the life-size Lord of the Rings stuff and An amazing um, little uh, area of the merchandise hall as well. Yeah, we even got to see Chappie, didn't we? Yeah, Thank Chappie you. was
1: there. <laughs> um, really, really good That's stuff for the Hobbit down there as well. It was great. Exactly. And some of the some of the stands that are there are phenomenal. You can get uh, merchandise for every single TV show and every single movie that I think has ever come out in the realm of. Uh, of I suppose fan uh, loyalty and fan love there's everything from you know Battlestar Galactica stuff all the way through to Daredevil and uh, the Netflix stuff and Marvel stuff everywhere it's fantastic and you could spend hundreds and we probably did uh, on t-shirts and Games and uh, statues, statues and pins, and yeah,
0: tattoos, jewellery, comics—you name it, you can get it. Did you get that tattoo that you were? Thinking no, I didn't, really? but um, I'd like to. Okay, all right, grand. part of me wants to, but I don't know yet. I need to think. Which about part of it you yet. wants to is probably um, the probably my shoulder <laughs> okay. area or my my the top of my forearm. Okay, no, the top of my arm, um, I should say, right. um, and then you have the whole um area of this convention that is to do with signings and autographings and so on. It has Mm -hmm. its own cues dedicated to it. And then thirdly, you have all the panels with film, TV, comics. And reunions uh, uh, and song going on, um, sort of on the main stage, the empire stage, and then a whole host of other smaller panel areas and breakout rooms almost to an extent where they might look at podcasting, for example, or, you know, women in comics or LGBT in comics, all these different types of things. So it's a huge scale. But in terms of the panels, you have choices to make because you have to decide where you want to go and what you want to see. Um, For the main stage, you queue up for the the panels that you want to see throughout the day. And if you're lucky enough and can get to um, another panel queue before the wristbands that are dished out um, at the front of those queues are gone, then you may be able to get into two or three. It depends how popular... Uh, the panels are unfortunately i suppose for us on the saturday not only was there the x files panel there was also the big marvel jessica jones and daredevil season two panel That's right. and primarily on defenders we have been doing uh the daredevil and the marvel films and we will be looking at jessica jones in november so definitely if you're interested in marvel check us out there on defenders
1: dot com forward slash ITunes. It's the one big difference, I suppose, with New York Comic Con and San Diego Comic Con. I think most people who know of San Diego Comic Con will have seen... Images of people queuing out from you know the Wednesday before the show even opens, queuing for panels that are on, and then may not be able to actually get in and see them because so many people are queuing for days and days on end. Uh, one of the big things about New York Comic Con for these main stage panels, anyway, is that you can queue. Usually in the morning, uh, you choose one of the five panels, usually four to five panels that are on in the main stage. You queue for that panel to get your wristband, and then you're guaranteed entrance to the to the panel. Um, but there is still the challenge. There's only five thousand people of the roughly. 150,000 people that go to the uh, go to the event, there's only 5,000 people that are allowed into the panels just purely because of the size of the room really um, so on some of the days we were arriving down to the uh, to the venue at 6am uh, half 6 in the morning, uh, joining a queue that had already had a couple of hundred people in it, uh, in order to get our wristbands or so, uh, a thousand people in it, I mean it, it's that
0: moment, you come down and you're confronted with the Javits Centre and you see the queue and then you begin to follow the queue and then all of a sudden you've done two blocks, and the queue's still going, yeah. and then you turn uh, down uh, along the the side of the Javits Centre that, that faces onto the Hudson River, um, and quite, quite frankly, you're there going oh my goodness, we're not going to get into this panel, or yeah. it's going to be touch and go, whether once we get to queue up actually then in the convention centre, are we going to get a wristband for the panel that we want to see, mm-hmm. and you know, once you're in the queue, you see it on the faces of um of the other people joining the queue. They're going, "How long is this queue? What have we've come to late or the other great one you know when the queue is getting really big when you hear them say we should have gone the other way around the building to get to the back of the queue it is gone around the entire Javits Centre which is kind of like I think four or five blocks wide and two blocks deep kind Mm -hmm. of thing it's a huge convention centre as one of the people um, who was on my round table for the interviews of the Gotham cast she basically said this building was designed by the government as an experiment because it is quite simply from the outside it looks like a huge greenhouse yeah um a huge glass house uh, you know it is massive and lets huge amounts of sun in and for interviews as we experienced um uh when we were interviewing the gotham cast and, and creators you know it makes for an echoey location to conduct uh, an audio interview and also um for All the sunlight coming in, it's really difficult for um, a visual interview as well, uh, you know. So it is is a challenging place, um, but it's nice and light, (laughs) you know. But uh, unfortunately, it meant that we weren't able to get an X-Files wristband, which gutted me. I mean, I have loved X-Files back in the day. I used to watch it uh, when I was in secondary school. Um, Mulder and Scully, I absolutely adore jillian anderson i absolutely adore Um it was one of the things why um you know i wanted to do the hannibal podcast on tv podcast industries was because um she was in it uh, as bedelia mm-hmm. uh, dumaria and um it was um i loved it. it really stuck with me you know some of those classic episodes uh from from x files some of those amazing um you know, characters drawn by Chris Carter. And um, so, you know, a bit disappointed that we didn't get in, but that does happen. Absolutely. As
1: well. Absolutely. You've got to kind of take it with a, take it with a pinch of salt that you're, that you're definitely going to be getting into some of this stuff. You know, again, 10,000 people uh, want to go to, uh, to two different panels. Uh, you might be able to get in, you might not. Um, unfortunately we weren't able to attend the x-files panel which uh, i believe chris carter was at um and mitch peliggy who's very heavily involved in x-files was there and also david Akovne. david
0: Duchovny, yeah. yeah
1: and Gillian anderson she came live by video link i think she's
0: in a play at the moment or she's doing other filming uh, i believe she was coming from jodhpur
1: in in india mm-hmm. um hopefully filming some of season four of uh, of hannibal maybe yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, <laughs> Hannibal's gone for a curry. Possibly, yeah. possibly. So, um, but the one other huge thing, obviously, about the panel that we missed and or, it was really sad was that, unfortunately, they did show the pilot episode of season 10 of X-Files, which, as we said, is returning in 2016. Um, huge, huge approval from the audience yeah. that were there. They, they obviously were huge X-Files fans totally understand that but the press seemed to have taken it on uh, as being a really good episode, uh, seen the trailers for it and we're looking forward to hopefully seeing it while we were at New York Comic Con but it didn't work out that's alright, we'll see it in a couple of months time, hopefully nobody will spoil it too much for us and we have a whole season to watch when it comes out
0: Absolutely, and of course one final big area of uh, the convention is the artist alley mm. where you have all these fantastic artists oh, yeah. who, who draw and ink and pencil for the comics that you, you know and you love. are All the um, selling their own art, their own comic art, signing books, doing little sketches for people, just chatting. It's probably one of the more uh, relaxed um, and probably uh, free-flowing kind of parts of, of the convention centre because they will chat to you about anything they will give you advice if you want to be a comic artist so they're really really helpful and they're more than willing to do a little sketch in one of your favorite graphic novels or comics and um, and and you can buy their artwork as well for me i managed to get um a signed print by nick Dragotta, who um draws for jonathan hickman in the graphic novel East of West. I also asked if he would sign my Volume 4 collectors edition of East of West, which he was more than happy to do. So thank you so much, Nick Dragotto, for for doing that. And he was giving advice to people there who were looking to become artists. You know, so generous with the advice and the time that they give there. And, of course, they do other signings. are some of the bigger signings. Take place in the in the main merchandise hall, so sort of at the Marvel stand, or at the Image comic stand, Dark Horse stand, and um, and the Skybound stand, you know, such as. Kirkman for the Walking Dead
1: comics. So yeah, we were about a foot away from Robert Kirkman. Unfortunately, we couldn't get a ticket to go and uh, get a get a signing from him. But uh, yeah, some fantastic artists down in the, in the artist alley. Uh, there were people like Tim Sale, who uh, who we know from Long Halloween Batman book. Um, love him and love his artwork. And uh, yeah, really good to see him there. We had um, one of John's favorite artists, Ben Temple Smith, was there as well. Didn't yeah. manage to get to his stand this year, but I got there last
0: year. Um, and that was really, really cool. Yeah. Um, he did Gotham After Midnight, really good book, um, of DC work, and that absolutely identifiable Ben Temple Smith um, style, which I absolutely adore. Oh yeah, very much with a horror leaning, um, and
1: to it. Much so, like you, John. Yeah, yeah, much like you. A bit of a horror leaning to you.
0: In fact, he <laughs> did have a Hannibal um drawing there with Hannibal with his antlers,
1: which looked amazing. Oh, it's fantastic, it's fantastic but speaking of Robert Kirkman, uh, one of the big things that we got to attend this year, uh, which I'm kind of shocked at actually, I don't really know how we uh, how we got to get a, go along to it, but was the uh, fan screening of The Walking Dead uh, which was episode one of season six, um, fantastic, that episode's now aired in the UK and in, uh, in Ireland and in the US, so um, we will talk about that now in a mo um, but this is probably the, the really interesting thing about New York Comic Con it was a small convention, um, a number of years ago about five or six years ago in fact i know it was six years ago because it's now known as the con that walking dead built and every year for the last six years walking dead has premiered its show At uh, New York Comic Con, right back to season one. Um, It started to break the bounds of the convention center as big as the Javits Center. We saw last year people were queuing out overnight, which you never get at New York Comic Con, uh, just to get into the Walking Dead panel, which had the cast there. Um, We saw people getting their wristbands last year and just sleeping on the floor for the day until the seven o'clock viewing of the premiere for season five. So this year, as a thank you for what is the biggest show on American television, crazily enough, the producers of The Walking Dead purchased the entire stadium which is Madison Square Garden holding 10,000 or 15,000 people i believe yeah. um for the for the night gave everybody free tickets for it including us uh, so we were sitting in the biggest audience i've ever been in watching a tv show uh, with a panel a follow up
0: panel afterwards with a great quiz show between <laughs> the the men and the ladies of the cast um with an award for you know Previous cast members that are are no longer with us. It was absolutely great. Awesome atmosphere. And they had walkers... Strolling or you know stumbling around um, Madison Square
1: Garden. Oh, that was just hilarious, John. I was caught unaware as well, trying to take a photograph of a of a poster for Walking Dead as a, as an actor who's playing a walker comes up behind him, and he screamed like uh, like anybody would as a walker comes up behind them. Um, I squealed hilarious. and squealed and kind of you know. Took that quick two steps to the side to
0: really? escape the the reaching arm as the little... <sighs>
1: in my ear hole. <laughs> I would be very concerned if John had had a weapon on, on hand, whether he would have done the double tap uh, or not <laughs> on, the, on the poor actress. Uh, but fantastic. Um, and yet, just some of the great moments from the night. Um, you could definitely feel in an audience that big how big the character of Norman Reedus's Daryl Dixon from the show is now. Did he do an entrance? Everybody else came out from behind the stage with their little intro. Um... He got a standing ovation from the entire audience as he drove in on a Harley Davidson from the other side of the of the of the stadium uh, onto the stage was yeah, fantastic. Amazing. Um, yeah, loved Robert Kirkman as well. I've loved him for years. I think I read um, Walking Dead from the first from the first book, first selected volume, is when I got into it. Um, when we first picked that up, uh, and hearing him on stage going, "You will learn in season six that no one is safe." Uh, the booze from the audience uh, that they may lose another one of their beloved characters uh, I stupidly said kill off Reedus uh, basically just as a little joke and got the dirtiest of looks from uh, <laughs> people around me did. <laughs> uh, people left pretty quickly after that not wanting to sit beside the guy that wants to uh, get rid of Norman Reedus' character which I don't want to get rid of him don't get me wrong I do love Daryl Dixon the show he's not from the comic book so I'm not as precious about him as a lot of people who watch the TV show are and I definitely know after reading 150 issues of that comic book no one is safe Um, So I will expect in season six, we will lose one or two major characters.
0: And it was hosted so well by Yvette Nicole Brown as well, who is a mega fan of The Walking Dead. She's been on The Talking Dead, the post-show held by... um, Chris Hardwick, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. by Chris Hardwick. Um, And uh, of course... I love her from community Mm -hmm. uh, fame. So she was really good hosting this. She brought a lot of fun, uh, a lot of uh, humor to to the event. Uh, And she was superb. Really, really helped to move things along and to get everyone uh, involved. Not that they needed much excuse to, but, you know, she really did just move it along so well.
1: Definitely, um, yeah. It was really interesting, though, wasn't it? Because uh, she was a last-minute replacement because Chris Hardwick couldn't turn up, um, who people know from the Nerdist podcast and obviously from his coverage of uh, of The Walking Dead and AMC. Um, I think she did a brilliant job, and I'm surprised she wasn't first choice, really. I think he's first choice just because of The Talking Dead. But she is fantastic at hosting, uh, you know, essentially in front of 15,000 fans or 10,000 fans. I'd love to know the number because it was huge and it was full uh, to the brim. Um, we got to see the season six pilot, as I said. Um, again, watching a show like that with an audience that size who were just rapturous uh, about the show and seeing, you know, how brutal that first episode was and how huge it was. Like, there's thousands of walkers in at this time. Yeah, I mean, if you have not
0: watched episode one of season six of The Walking Dead, do go and see it. And also, if you have never watched The Walking Dead before, check it out, Um, you know, because at this stage now in Season 6, it felt... Epic. Oh, and um, like the, the pit and, you know, spoilers if you haven't watched it, the, the, the pit and um, the mine pit that all the walkers were, were caught in with the trucks. That just felt like an epic scale. You know, the plan that they were looking to execute was epic. And then they brought it back as well then to a nod to the comics where it was shot in black and white as, as they moved back to the, the, the lead up and the build up and the consolidation of the plan that they're executing and also the consolidation of Rick Grimes as the leader of the group act. Uh, alexandria uh, after the end of season five uh, and the the events that took place where he took down uh, a number of people Mm. and after everything that happened at the end of last season it really you know showed uh rick grimes developing as you know a a new leader for a new expanded community than alexandria so it was a great episode um Epic and intimate at the same time. Moving on from the comics, but respecting and giving a nod to the
1: comics as well at the same time. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, and we even had a new character from the comic books uh, called Heath, um, who was played so well by the actor who's playing him. He looks exactly like Heath in the comic books. It was really exciting for me to see him up on the big screen there. Um, Fantastic and a great reaction from the crowd for for all the stuff. You can tell, obviously, a huge amount of the crowd are big fans of the TV show. I'm not too sure how many of them, even in that size of an audience are big fans of the comic book but uh but really exciting to to see um huge huge uh, characters appeared uh, at at the venue as well characters that we have lost in the past like chad l coleman who played tyrese uh, he did a a good little uh, a good little piece from the audience we also had Merle Dixon, um, who's a very big character in himself. I think he could have filled up the entire stadium just by his booming voice when he arrived on stage. But the biggest one was Shane John Brenthal from uh, season one and two, and uh, he came into rapturous applause from the oh, audience. That's brilliant! Um, the whole cast came out and hugged him to death, basically because they missed him so much from uh, from being around in season one and two. And I have to say it was hilarious because John Brenthal was not mincing his words. He understands, like I do anyway, that this show is for adults only. And uh, let everybody know um, that he is not going to respect that this is a show for kids. And he's going to use every word in his vocabulary to describe how crazy the experience of being in front of 15,000 people in Madison Square Garden is. Um, was quite. He was quite funny about it, basically saying that uh, the cast... Sitting around him looking, uh, looking resplendent in their penguin outfits was very, <laughs> yeah. very different to the last time he saw them sweating in Georgia. Um, was hilarious. Very, very funny and It poor, was poor. really, really good, fruity language. Absolutely poor vet Nicole Brown trying to get that back under control was, uh, was hilarious. And
0: also, there was a really nice moment where, um, Scott Wilson uh, came out to receive an award for, um, You know, favorite actor from the show. Uh, Seems like this could be an annual event, but it was just to give him the recognition of being a real fan favorite from the TV series and also uh, the comic books as well. Um, He played Herschel Green, really big character in in both uh, mediums. And of course, he was reunited with his daughters, Beth and Maggie Green played by Emily Kinney and Lauren Cohen, yeah. um, respectively, as well. Yeah. So that was really nice and as a well. Green
1: family reunion on stage. Exactly. It was, fab. It was really good to see the, the cast and crew who were all up there. Uh, the entire crew had had, had paid for their, their own flights to New York to go to the premiere, apparently. There was about 150 members of that team who, uh, who took up the floor area uh, there. It was really, really interesting to see all them. Uh, obviously, a lot of passion goes into that show, and they're uh, they're making big bucks from it, and des- deservedly so. It's one of my, definitely one of my favorite shows on TV. Absolutely, it was a really,
0: really good night. Um, enjoyed by everyone, I think it was awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely, I kind of wished uh, it had gone on a bit longer, uh, but great fun. Great fun to see all the cast reunited, and they uh, they seem to be having a, having a great time.
0: Then we also had two of our other big uh, things that we're going to look at as well, which is um.
1: Everything to do with Gotham. Yeah, we had the pleasure to chat with the cast of Gotham recently at this week's uh, at this weekend's New York Comic Con, which is great fun. John got the chance to sit down with them all, didn't you?
0: Yeah, um, the roundtable interviews um, in the press area. We were, again, um, very generously invited there by Warner Brothers, so a big shout-out to Mark and Holly. Thank Absolutely. you so much for that, again. Thank you to the cast, which included Corey Michael Smith, Robin Lord-Taylor, Ben McKenzie, and some of the new members like James Frayne, Jessica Lucas and Erin Richards and the crew, which included John Stevens in terms of the answers and their time. uh, They were very generous. So uh, thank you. And it was great to to sort of meet them in the flesh, you know, really, uh, really interesting people giving some little snippets, little sneak peaks um, at what their characters are going to do how maybe the season will inf- unfold there was michael Chickless there and um, so it was really really good and obviously with episode four that was aired there very recently we see that it is a war he is seeing this as a war so really interesting set of interviews there
1: yeah definitely really really enjoyed listening to them i hope our listeners enjoy them as well so, without further ado, I think we should get into our interviews.
0: So, first up, we have Corey Michael Smith and Robin Lord Taylor, a.k.a. Ed Nigma, the Riddler, and Oswald Cobblepot,
1: the Penguin. Yeah, great to have the two of them together, actually, wasn't it? Definitely, yeah. So, here's the interview.
0: I'm John from Gotham TV Podcast. Um, how does Ed Nigma's other side um, develop now that he's let? the other side out the box and what implications might that have for Christine Kringle
2: oh many many implications Uh, (laughs) well we'll see on Monday I think there was a sneak peek released by somebody uh, where uh, you know Dark Enigma is is essentially the catalyst for Ed to get the things that he wants which is you know attention from Kristen uh, love from Kristen a date Um, and so he's he's just going to be pushing him pushing him to to man up and have some courage and take chances. And so we'll see we'll see Ed finally just like just say what he should have said about <laughs> about twenty episodes ago. Which is like, <laughs> will you will you go on a date with me or go on a date with me? Don't even ask. Just tell it.
0: Cool. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks.
3: Bye. <laughs> So what is your relationship going to be? Uh, how is that involved? Because um, we just had a phone with you recently. Right. Um, but you guys are really going to have some moments this season. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
4: Well, I mean, yeah, with the rise of the villains, you know, that generally implies that we're all going to start after, you know, interacting with each other. And since we've already met briefly in the first season, you know, yeah. I, that you know, we come back into each other's lives in a, in a pretty major, exciting way—a yeah, very exciting uh, way. Yeah. yeah, you
2: know, fate just has it that that Edward and Oswald must meet again. Yeah, <laughs> so we run into each other in a very interesting place, and uh, you know, Edward Edward knows exactly who Oswald is, obviously, as we know, and um, Oswald could <laughs> really care less. Uh, you know, Edward is such a fan, um, and as we'll see his evolution, especially in the next few episodes, um, because of, of Bad enigma really kind of spurring him along, uh, he's, he's going to be interested in, in um, talking to Oswald some thoughts give me some thoughts
4: yeah and likewise furniture clothing <laughs> <laughs> fashion. fashion advice <laughs> uh, <laughs> no and then and, and, you know from Oswald's standpoint like he's always basically I mean he's collecting allies and like we're always trying to find ways that he can you know bring people to his side and use them for his advantage and, you know yeah see
3: so. luck like, getting called Rubens
4: I, we shall I, see. I, we shall see. I mean, I hope so. I know so. you want know, that so badly. It's an absolute dream. I mean, it would be a dream. I you imagine working with you, I mean, I look back, like, 10-year-old self, just, like, kill over and die, like, what that Did is Did you back. talk about your lunch? What's that? Well, lunch? he's very close with Carol. Right. And so, and that's how, like, I, I actually met Paul uh, a couple months ago. Through Carol, we had like, a brunch together, and I was told totally him it would be amazing. I'm so jealous. I know, it was, it
3: was. Sorry, it's more Yeah.
5: cool. None yeah. of your characters are like full-fledged villains yet, or still kind of have both sides of them, so how do you know when to like bring the more evil into your like your more normal lives of the character, and when do you kind of like hold back? I think a lot of it is circumstance
4: and you'll see it play out in the storylines like you know it's a lot of you know a lot of what Gotham is is about how the city influences these people and sort of forms who they are and the choices that they make and so in terms of like you know becoming you know darker characters more fully fledged you know villains that you know become less sympathetic a lot of that like I said is circumstances driving these characters to become you know they have no choice but to become darker and more ruthless to survive in the city so yeah it's, it's a lot of it it's just you know what happens in
2: their lives and I personally I'm, I mean uh, Edward is uh, there's this really exciting thing happening for me which is like a tug of war by the same character his two sides pulling him and having having made Edward a bit of a, a brighter character really joyful gleeful you know I, I have this other part now that's like pulling him down his like feet on the ground and um, and you know, this this was unleashed because he took this drug of, of like killing someone. It's like you know, he knows it's like terrible for him, but it's kind of it was amazing. It's amazing and it's like listening to this other part of himself. Uh, but you know, it's all it's kind of it's all in the writing. You know, they, they give us they give us hints of uh, you know, what they need and what they want and and we get to kind of choose the tactics in which they, they get there. Uh, sometimes you got to lie. and Sometimes lying is fun. Sometimes you have to hurt somebody.
4: And <laughs> it's, it can be fun, too. <laughs> Sometimes
3: it's <laughs> fun. Only in Maple Leaf. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thank you.
0: Thank you, all. you. Have a good one. So really hope you enjoyed um, those interviews there with um, Robin Lord-Taylor and Corey Michael-Smith. It's really interesting to see that Corey Michael Smith is absolutely loving playing that dual personality of Ed Nigma and the Riddler and that he should have asked Christine Kringle out about 20 episodes ago. (laughs) 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 We are of course going to agree with that Um, and it'll be great to see how that moves forward. And it's nice to hear the nervousness in uh, Robin Lord Taylor's Uh, voice when he talks about Oswald Coppelbot getting slightly creeped out by these new villains, these crazier uh,
1: weirder villains than than he is. So really good set of interviews. Absolutely, I really enjoyed that. At one point to note, you may have noticed from the interview that uh, there was a question posed to Robin about uh, the appearance of one Mr. Paul Rubens. Uh, formerly Oswald Cobblepot's dad in uh, in Batman Returns. Uh, what basically seems to have happened is that question was posed during the roundtable interviews and about an hour later the panel took place where Robin did in fact announce that Paul Rubens will be joining the cast of Gotham uh, to reprise his role from Batman Returns as uh, Oswald Cobblepot's dad. He was genuinely over the moon when he made this announcement. He was really excited about it. I think he's, he mentioned in the interview last year when we spoke to him that Batman Returns was the one movie of the Batman franchise he was watching Every day after school, as a kid, he loved the idea of getting Paul Rubens or potentially Danny DeVito on board for Gotham. So he's got achieved one of those goals, anyway. Yeah, the full set is
0: there now. The amazing uh, Carol Kane as mm. his mum Gertrude Cobblepot, and now Paul Rubens as his daddy Cobblepot. Yeah, with Oswald, um, and ha- having watched episode four, um his dad must be returning to help save the day with Oswald. So remember, um, try not to spoil here. Get out and watch episode four to see exactly why Oswald is in a pickle. And with that, on to the next set of interviews, which um comprises of executive producer and episode writer, um, John Stevens. He's done such episodes as Balloon Man and episode four from season two, uh, Strike Force. And, of course, we're introduced and are pleased to welcome michael chiklis as captain nathaniel barnes also known uh, from his roles as the thing in fantastic four the
1: original two mm-hmm. yeah absolutely he's also in uh, the tv show the shield for many years and was the commish as well in that in that tv show so uh, great to have michael chiklis on board a really nice guy yeah, by the sounds of your interviews with him yeah absolutely yeah. here you go
2: how are you guys Cool. Well, Michael, you're joining
3: the show this season um, as a new captain.
6: Can
3: you tell us a little bit about what your relationship with uh, Jim is going to be this season?
6: Well, I'm uh, Captain Barnes. Is um, I look at him as like a battlefield commander. He's not a he's not a desk jockey. He's a guy who comes in who you know jumps right into these guys in a, on a war footing because the uh, the villains have uh, run amok. And, you know, this season is called Rise of the Villains, and they've been brazen enough to come into the precinct, slaughter cops, and kill my predecessor. So I come in as both mentor to um, to Ben's character, and also um, I'm worried for the kid because he's. He's getting into that brand of law enforcement, that ends, justifies the means brand of law enforcement that my character is absolutely adamantly against. And you find out why down the line, which is really interesting. You find out that certain things in his past inform the reasons that he's so adamantly against breaking the law in order to achieve the law.
3: Um, was there any hesitation going into this? I mean, because it's usually like you're a cop yeah, or sure you're a superhero because you didn't know Ordinary Family and everything, um, but I mean...
6: I've danced all around these, these neighborhoods, but I mean, this, this is different. I mean, there's a familiarity uh, in that it's a hybrid of two genres that I've spent a lot of time in, in my career, but at the same time, it's a completely different new world. I mean, I love that it's, you know, very different Marvel... Marvel is sort of almost Grecian in its mythology, it's very, you know, uh, it deals with epic uh, uh, themes of good and evil, whereas, you know, Gotham and, and, and the DC comic book world is much more of a noir feel, you know, it really delves into the darkness of men's souls, and you know, so they are different universes, and you're, I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of both of them now in my career. Um, I know, you know, you can take this stuff way too seriously, but you know, it, it's, uh, it's just, to me, it's it, this is yeah, entertainment. Church. This is a really fun vehicle for storytelling and having fun, and the show looks phenomenal. And you have a cast of thousands, literally, and we're, you know, uh, it's a great way to tell stories. Fresh meat.
7: Yeah, man. Fresh
6: meat.
5: Uh, one of my favorite storylines has been Barbara and how she went from kind of being tied to the James girls to having her own like totally separate crazy story. That's no, not crazy. <laughs> Can we maybe see that happen with Kristen too? As her character's been evolving? You have to keep
8: watching. Uh, it's possible. I mean, I do think. <laughs> awesome. Yes. I mean, it, we we changed Erin's character this year and let her go down that path. That to me has been one of the most exciting things that we've done. Yeah. And the culmination of the sort of Aaron, Gordon, and Tonkin storyline, which happens in episode 8, is bananas. And it's like I watched the episode uh, the other day and it is just, it feels very like core and mythic and elevated. It's like everything we wanted to have out of the show is great. And she knocks it out of the park. But he, that storyline, I think, and uh, what happens to Barbara is representative of what we want all of our characters to do, because the Batman and all the Spirit stories are, to a large degree, about um, identity transformation. Like, you know, Bruce Wayne, <laughs> this awful thing happens to him, so he makes a choice to change his identity and become Batman. And that kind of happens to all of our characters. You say, Edward Enigma kind of then becomes uh, the Riddler, or you watch Oswald uh, Cobblepop become the King. So with all of our characters, we're always asking, like, what is that shadow self lurking inside and, and how do we bring the shadow out and we have someone else? So I would say that all of our characters have that potential. Well,
3: uh, speak, uh, well, speaking of the changing no. world, mm-hmm. what has surprised you about season two? Did you always know it's going to be the rise of the villains? How has the show and it surprised you or changed as it's going to It surprised me by
8: how much fun it is. Honestly, we always knew we wanted to do... To lean more into the Rhodes Gallery because it is like we have these nuclear weapons we weren't deploying yet, or so like let's get them out there, and it has given a level of energy and fun to the show. I think which is fascinating. And also, when you have, it actually has allowed us to write longer scenes uh, than last year. It's like this is like a weird technical point that you might not interest here. But last year, because you're following cases so much, you're getting clues, you're going to this place, now because you have these larger, realized characters, what you really want to do is see them in a room, interacting with one another. Whether they're trying to kill each other or they like talk to, just talk to the each other. Helens
6: are delicious. Yeah, yeah and that's exactly. What it, and, right. That's, that's like really, really interesting, delicious characters yeah. and and uh, all these things that are the engine that drives these different people to do what they do is what we're fascinated by. I mean, and if you don't care about that, it doesn't matter about what you blow up and and, you know, what you get shot. If you're not engaged on that level as an audience, then you're out, right? So, and that's why I was, that's one of the reasons why I took the big on because when I spoke to Bruno, I said, listen, are are they... I know you're at that place in the, in the history of this show. Are you going to go procedural or are you going to go serialized? And when you said serialized, I went already. Because I'm not, I, I'm not interested in doing the, the procedural version of this show. It's not interesting. What, the way they've decided to heighten all the stakes, make it really... Epic. It's epic. Yeah. Go big or go home with this shit. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, we go, we go go big. big. Yeah, <laughs> it's big. It's uh, for television. You can't really get any bigger. I mean, in I terms of scale, you can't. We yeah, yeah. like a nine day shoot.
8: It's just you can't really. It's astonishing what I mean. The, the casting crew pull off in nine days. It's, it blows us away every time. I think in, a, in some ways we're a victim of our own years. Yes, so, success. Yes, so, sure. They, they do such a great job. The cast and the crew. they were like, we just keep loading more stuff on yeah. it. Like, well, if <laughs> they did that, let's try this out you know? Oh my like, uh,
6: god. <laughs> No, but it's, you know, like, I'm sore as hell from this week because did <laughs> yeah, you know, these yeah. big, huge fight scenes and things. Shots fired, knives flying around. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. It crazy. Bombs went off. Crazy. You know, so. <laughs> That's true. It was a fun week. Yeah,
1: so indicative there that, uh, that Barbara's storyline in season two seems to be, uh, seems to be showing a signs that, uh, John Stevens is taking some of these characters down a pretty crazy path for season two.
0: Yeah. Really elevated and heightened sort of craziness and extremes, I think, here that we're probably going to see in season two. And it really ties in nicely with kind of what Corey Michael Smith and, um, Robin Lord Taylor talked about, which was, You had Falcone, Maroney, who are old, old school. To an extent, you can see the Riddler and the Penguin as an old school, and these are the new crazy crazies of the new school, which the Riddler and Penguin don't seem to get. They need a bit more structure than what the likes of Jerome and Barbara and what uh, the Galavan twins want to to bring to Gotham. So that ties in nicely. And then we have Michael Chiklis, Um, stating that this is, you know, a firm footing for war. He's coming in as an ex-military as well. He is on a war footing to rid crime, corruption from Gotham and the GCPD. And he wants to be an ally of, of Jim and he goes
1: down that route of being his ally and mentor as well really exciting to see that Jim's going to have someone at his side now after all the times he's been fighting on his own um, fighting even with his partner Harvey all the way through season one to keep him on side keep him on side it's nice that he's going to have somebody hopefully at his back uh, for the rest of season two so with that we move on to the
0: Steadfast Jim Gordon played mm-hmm. by Ben McKenzie and again another newcomer James
1: Frain who is playing Theo Gallivan. Yeah brilliant to uh, brilliant to get the chance to meet Ben McKenzie again wasn't it? Absolutely yeah. yeah. So here we go.
3: You guys having a good show? Hence
9: today. Yeah. Since we're going very smoothly. Yeah. That's <laughs> successful waterbrows, and some fairly witty interview answers, but I'm afraid we've run out. So <laughs>
2: we're all out of wit. Welcome <laughs> to the drags. <laughs> <laughs> well,
5: something I think is interesting about Veo is that most other villains in the show are really like in your face about how evil they are, but he chose to this kind of like long con fake hero role. So why do you, how do you think that plays into his bigger plan?
9: It is his bigger plan. I mean, it is, um, a rogue billionaire who is obviously narcissistic and, and but at least has a strong point of view, feels like a valid hero for a city on the brink of collapse. And, and so that's that's a very obvious meaningful play to him. He, he can get close to you, the real power players at the heart of things, Jim and Bruce um, Wayne. So you know, that's, his, that's his plan, to come in and see who's
3: they can't. <laughs> That's right. And he's doing so. He's starting it, And what's nice about season two is that we're spooling out longer form forms of storytelling. For, you we know, have full serialization. And we can really build these arcs so that, you know, by the time... Jim hasn't even figured out that Theo's up to no good. But by the time he does, how does he dismantle Theo? He can't just go straight out of Theo Theo's far and away the most... Uh, uh, complicated and sophisticated of the villains that he's faced uh, up to this point. And so it becomes a real you know, clash of the titans in the world amongst the two of them um, with some really big repercussions for the uh, Hi, uh, How
0: is how's Jim dealing with the chaos that's happened um, in the first three episodes? Like personally with his uh, with Barbara trying to attack um,
3: <laughs> his holding, girlfriend? He's holding it together barely. Yeah. uh I think the, uh, the starting to fray a little bit under the pressure and he's certainly wearing the guilt of what he's already done already at the beginning of the season, having killed a man to collect a debt, a debt on behalf of Penguin in order to get his job back. Um, he's starting starting to see that he's becoming a little unhinged um, and and that's only going to continue as he discovers what Gallimand's up to. And, tries to put a stop to it. So um, it's a nice shift. It's a really sort of aggressive gear shift here in season two. And we um, so don't keep our foot on the gas, we don't really off. Uh he's mining.
5: I mean we've seen Jim really like embrace his darker side more of the season, think that he still has a limit somewhere of how far he'll go, or is that kind of being pushed now?
3: We keep pushing it. We'll keep pushing it um, time and time again and then and then we may push it so far that it that it breaks or he breaks in a sense and has to really come to terms with, with not liking who he, who he is at all, just rejecting all of it. Um, um, but uh, but it's it's fits and starts, you know, it's sort of push forward a little bit, he finds some solace in Lee or in, in you know, Harvey Bullock or Barnes or whatever. And, and then he keeps pushing forward. Um, but each time he goes a little bit further, and, and each time he sort of um, uh, attempts fate. And uh, fate, I guess, being the uh, destruction of his soul. So, just what can we expect from this
6: season?
3: James? I <laughs> think
9: <laughs> we've coded the... <laughs> the writers it the rise of the villains because, because we're going to transition from uh, a world quite like our own into a kind of chaotic space where you can accept there are super villains who have these larger than real life personalities. That's sort of the goal I think of season two to really show the rise of the villains from, from, from you know, a, a corrupt environment into a, a really quite insane world. Do you feel like you're going to bring back any more
3: uh, organizations or like mob out of the way, kind of? Like, With the, the criminals? No, I mean, I think what we're telling is, is the old Gotham was the crime families. The crime families had an interest in law and order in the sense of, you know, the only way to do business is if things are relatively, everyone understands what the game is. Once they go away, they're the you know, Season 1, there's a power vacuum, you know, Penguin steps into that. But there is also an ability for someone like Theo to come in and shake, you know, burn things to the ground. Um, and in that anarchy, all of these uh, super personas are created. People start dressing up in, in various costumes, and, and, and that anarchy is, is, is the pervasive element. Of crime families can't ever regain their foothold because. You know, it's,
7: it's
0: so it's nice to see from that. I think that uh, you know. The, the motives being teased out by Theo Gallivan, you know, what he's trying to do. He's trying to undermine, uh, those existing powers in, in Gotham. You know, mm-hmm. he is an adopted son, but he is, in a sense, motivated by, by a revenge here to have their family take, you know, their, their rightful place. And I think, what we see as well, what he's drawing out of Jim with the release of the inmates from Arkham is a much darker, much more dangerous side. And he's struggling to come to terms with both personally and professionally in the GCPD, the loss of colleagues and the, the craziness of Barbara, his former fiancé, and um, all attacking him and, and, and his
1: colleagues and his girlfriend obviously Leslie Tompkins played by Marina Baccarin. Yeah, yeah you mentioned there about uh, about Aaron Richards, Barbara Keane and um, originally Marina Baccarin was going to be at New York Comic Con but uh, there are reasons that she couldn't unfortunately make it but uh, what's great is we did get erin uh, richards again she returned for new york comic-con this is the second time we've been able to to interview erin uh, richards Um she's joined by jessica lucas in the final of our four interviews from new york comic-con um, really interesting to have those two together they've uh, they've really been making an impression in the first four episodes of gotham
0: absolutely and jessica lucas obviously plays tigress tabitha gallivan mm-hmm. So here we go.
5: Barbara's arc is one of my favorites in the whole series so far. So, Ryan, did you know like early on that she was going to eventually take on this much darker role? Or were you as surprised as the audience was to see that side of her? I mean, I think from the beginning there was signs. You know, she was she kind of had that spiral where she was you got sort of elements
7: of drugs and alcohol and just her relationship with Montoya was very So, I think I knew that she, I, I definitely knew that she was going to a darker place. I, I didn't know that she was going to go to her. Quite quite a big shot, but I think such a fantastic development because it really releases her into the world as like this kind of new dark fear that is not kind of there's no there's nothing on the background. Literally, literally, done the worst thing. So from then on out, it's like. Do you want her to have a
5: redemption arc? maybe season three, season four, so you can have fun. Yeah,
7: yeah. I think that would be nice. Yeah, I, I think that I think the fans sort of want her to have a baby with Jim or some point <laughs> <laughs> so that girl comes out. So I, I personally think that right now it's so much fun to play this, this darkness and there's so much to explore inside that darkness. And also I'm really enjoying watching Jim and Leslie, I think that that relationship is a really strong one, and a much better one for him right now than what Barbara was. So I think that I'm enjoying this dark element, but it's nice to see redemption. Um, I don't know how we would achieve it right now. Um, But yeah, it is nice. It's nice to have a happy ending. After some days.
3: (laughs) Elaborate on your relationship this season
4: The two of us? Uh, Well, it's basically what you've seen so far, (laughs) and it's going to continue to uh, develop a little bit. um,
7: Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting dynamic between the three of them. There's a lot of um, manipulation going on between the three of them and a lot of jealousy. um, Yeah, Uh, sorry, I'm like, do you want to elaborate more on (laughs) space for some (laughs) reason? Yeah, I think that we. The, within the the, the threesome that we have, there's a lot of using each other, playing off each other, and sort of, manipulating each other. So that will come into a bit more information as the series goes on. And also, I think that from Barbara's point of view, she—if you were to ask her which one she prefers—I think she would say Catherine. <laughs> you know, I think the relationship with Caliban, she's very much like, yeah, yeah. So I think she's like, yeah, with Galavan it's like, she knows who she, who she knows who she is, she knows who she is, she knows who she is, she will use them and she knows who she is, and I think with Tabitha there's a bit more injury, you know, she's like, what is this kind of, especially if we're talking about her coming into this world as like a movie, which I'm sort of like, that so she's been reborn as this new dark barber, and then she's like, oh, what is this dark thing over here, this naughty Tabitha? Like, how can I kind of take things from her, and also use her, but then maybe learn, and yeah. you know, I think there's a bit more respect there, potentially, than there is with the Gullivan, so it's an interesting dynamic, because then, you know, you guys have your own thing going on in yeah. however Tabitha feels about Barbara, you know, and like, yeah. loads of different habits.
3: Well, you we have awesome.
7: a... You
3: <laughs> have a leather... Whip mm-hmm. and a cat motif.
7: Yeah.
3: Is someone going to be inspired by that? <laughs> I don't
7: know. That would that. ever make you think <laughs> that? that. Um, I
4: sure. There was there was a conscious thought put into the
7: uh, book and how it was going to relate to somebody else. There yeah. That was a kitty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Thank, okay, you.
3: thank
5: you.
0: Okay. Thank you
1: from playful actresses aren't they they really are
0: oh big time and certainly they will be um influencing the young Selena Kyle here we had in season one Barbara Keane influencing her saying that you can use your body and your poise and posture as a weapon mm-hmm. to to um, undermine uh weak men and intimidate weak men as well yep. use it as a weapon and here you know Tabitha very much a feline uh, motif has the, the 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 jumpsuit has the whip and um, it looks likely that she will be forming an impression on
1: the young selena kyle as well definitely great interviews john uh, can you tell us a bit about the about what it's like being in that uh being in the round table room just kind of explain it to to the listeners about uh, you know what their layout is and how it, how it works
0: Yeah, I mean, basically, everyone is waiting in the press area, and you have to sign in. Mm -hmm. And then you're taken to um, a a smaller room, which is enclosed off with sort of uh, boards, like you would get, um, say, that that split up an office. Right, right. But actually, the whole area is incredibly open, because the Javits Centre itself is like a huge greenhouse. That's huge. And um, it's really cavernous. I mean, one of the people sat at my table was like, this building was designed by the government as an experiment. And, I mean, you can hear it, say, in sometimes in the audio. It's quite cavernous. You get mm-hmm. some echo. The sun is streaming in. So if you're doing video, you have to try and get a, a, a position with the back to the sun, which you might not always get. That's so right, yeah. it's, it's a really... um strange area to have the press because of the the issue of sound and the issue of the light because it's cavernous and like a greenhouse but it's a much smaller room and you have people doing um video interviews with you know the Reed pop and the new york comic-con background that you would see in some of the you know the the media outlets like IGN yeah. and so on but then you have behind that four or five round tables literally round tables where you sit with others and on this case it was two at a time that they they came to the table you know they come in it's an hour long maximum but it feels so much shorter because yeah. um you literally get maybe 5 certainly less than 10 minutes uh, with each of the the pairs. Um, And really it's a free-for-all in terms of asking the questions. Mm. There's no you go around the table asking the questions. It's basically those who jump in quickest. And, I mean, you can hear from, you know, I got there. Sometimes, other times I didn't, and other times other people kind of ask similar questions, and you kind of you can't really ask them again. Right? And yeah. You don't want to because you want to draw as much out of them as possible. So if someone else has already already asked you a question, it's worthwhile to ask a different question to get more information from them. So. Um, you know, and there's a few little moments of downtime whilst you're waiting for them to move from one table to another mm-hmm. and so on. But it's a really interesting experience. And, I mean, again, I just really want to thank um Holly and Mark for their uh, generosity in asking us again to attend the round table and to be a part of that experience. It's a really an interesting experience. And, of course, it's great to get to meet these people. I mean, you know, there is part of me. This is the first time I... Um, interviewed Corey Michael Smith. I was slightly in awe, like, because I really like his character. Yeah. Um, he is great, and he's just, you like going, oh my goodness, there's the guy who plays Ed Nigma Riddler, and you're kind of like, going, yeah. like <laughs> jaw drop. And it's the same as in Michael Chiklis. I mean, I know him from the Fantastic Four movies. For me, he's a really big actor. I'm yeah. like going, wow, you know, so... There is a bit of that as well. And even James Frayne, you know, he was in True Blood. um, He was in Agent Carter. Again, two shows I really, really enjoyed. So you do have to try and prevent the the (laughs) starstruckness coming (laughs) in. Um, But sometimes it's unavoidable. And quite rightly so. I'm a fan, you know. I'm I'm not a trained journalist. um, So I ask these questions. And I'm also fan a fan podcast with with you and yeah. it's a great experience to have.
1: Absolutely, especially going over from Ireland to to the US to New York. You know, on spec basically we we got our tickets for New York Comic Con months ago. It's absolutely a holiday for us, but getting the opportunity to meet up with some of the cast is great fun, isn't it? Absolutely.
0: it, it is really good fun. And I think this year as well, we got to meet up um, with some of the people who follow us as well. And, of course, um, there was Tom Calderon, who plays Officer Joe. So I didn't get to meet him, unfortunately, but Derek did. So it was really, really good in that sense. And just one final thing about sort of the whole uh, interview process. I think the majority of people there are from... Uh, the US and Canada. Um I really didn't hear too many other, say, UK or Irish accents there. I might be wrong, but it is dominated by, obviously, the media outlets in North America, I think,
1: absolutely. definitely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Must have been fun for some of the cast, like James Frayne, who's British, and Aaron Richards, who's Welsh. It must have been fun for them to hear a, a, a British accent asking them a couple of questions.
0: Well, I think with James Frayne, I think there was one moment where I think as soon as he heard me speak, he was like, oh, as fellow Brit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing so I mean it would kind of catch it in his eyes maybe to an extent yeah yeah, yeah
1: absolutely uh, you did mention there that luckily getting, uh, for us getting to meet some of our listeners while we were there uh, a quick shout out to Ricky Valez, who, who finally got to meet uh, she's been following us on Twitter for about a year now we've been talking back and forth for ages and never got to meet her uh, really lucky opportunity to meet herself um, her mom, and uh, and Tom Calderon who John mentioned plays uh, is, a, is a background actor in the in the GCPD um, if you follow us on Twitter, you'll have seen some photographs of uh, of him from uh, from the Comic Con, and also we've constantly been playing a game of spot uh, spot cop Joe uh, throughout season one and now into season two. So, uh, really good to meet up with those guys. They're um, they're really good fun on Twitter, and uh, and really nice to see. Really good a good opportunity to meet them while John was off meeting the cast. Ricky also had the chance to go to the autograph area. Uh, I tried to get to that, but the queue was massive for the, uh, for the signatures of the cast of DC legends of tomorrow of Supergirl and of Gotham, all the cast that John met, were uh, we're all there doing signatures, but, uh, the queues were phenomenally big and I just couldn't uh, couldn't spend the time on the final day of, of Comic-Con uh, in the queue. Uh, yeah. But Ricky had a great opportunity. He's a huge Riddler fan, uh, was dressed up as the Riddler, um, had a fantastic costume on, uh, got the chance to meet Corey Michael Smith, got to shake his hand, got to uh, got to get a, a photograph with him and got to ask a question at the Gotham panel. Uh, where he remembered her and said hi to her from the stage, which was uh, really exciting for us. So I just want to give a quick shout out to the two of them. That was really enjoyable meeting both of them.
0: Yeah, and of course, the the panel then was the big uh, Warner Brother TV takeover, where we had everyone who I interviewed out on the panel mm-hmm. after a two to three minute sizzle reel from... Um, everything that's happened so far in season two of Gotham from some of the big highs, uh, but also then on the introduction of Captain Barnes
1: and everything else in between. Mm-hmm. Absolutely I think my favourite moment though was uh, was Aaron Richards recommending that uh, that since Tabitha likes to wear black leather that uh, potentially James Fran's character, her brother would eventually also be in, dressed in black leather. Uh, she seemed <laughs> to be genuinely excited about it. Uh, one thing I will say from the panel definitely and from the interview really is seeing the change in Aaron Richards from last year when we were interviewing her. Nobody really seen much of her on the show. Um, this year she is so much more confident in her character and so much it seems to be enjo- not not enjoying it more, but seems to really love playing this part of the craziness of ba- of Babs. Of absolutely, Babs. Yeah.
0: absolutely, and she got a huge response from the auditorium at New York Comic Con, and I think justifiably so. Like she has uh, really done well with this character, and I think the character is in a better place for her. Commitment and persistence with bringing Barbara from what would be an area or a position of being quite timid to one now of being brazen, brash, and crazy. Like it's really, really good, really good. And she got. All the applause that she deserved in in the hall, uh, at the Empire Hall
1: at New York Comic Con. Really, yeah. really nice to hear. It's definitely one of the fun things about going to a big event like this where you, see, you get the reaction of a huge crowd. It was five, five or 6,000 people um get the reaction of a huge crowd to characters whereas when you're sitting at home watching it on TV you obviously clearly only have your opinion that's that's what we podcast about obviously but uh but hearing you know the reaction of the audience to some of these actors uh it definitely is interesting seeing how how some characters are per- are perceived Uh, Corey Michael Smith and Robin Lord Taylor. I thought the ceiling was going to fall in uh, with the, with the cheers and applause from the audience when the two of them arrived on stage. That was fantastic. Absolutely. And I mean, just to see Robin Lord Taylor's excitement
0: at seeing Pee Wee Herman, who's going to play his father on Gotham. I mean, Pee Wee Herman for anyone in the UK and Ireland, you may know them, but he's not the big deal like he is in uh, the USA. You know, He's probably
1: known because he played Oswald's father in Batman Returns. Yeah, but he did, he did have a film that was released over here, which was directed by Tim Burton, I believe, uh, where he got the part in, uh, in Batman Returns. There was PB's Big Adventure. Um, I certainly remember that from when I was a kid. Um, but we definitely didn't get his weekly TV show. We didn't get the other TV movies that he did. Uh, incidentally, John, an interesting one to tie up our last interview. Uh, Drew Powell was actually in, uh, a Pee Wee Herman TV special. Uh, Drew Powell played a part in uh, in the uh, I think it was called Pee Wee on Broadway. I think is the name of the TV special. Uh, so quite interesting that Drew Powell also worked with Paul Rubens in the past, and now he's going to be playing Oswald's dad. So there's going to be another oh, little meet up in Gotham of those two those two actors. Absolutely, it's good fun.
0: It's yeah, good fun. but. That's um, all we've got on the the Gotham part of our DC coverage here, but there was a whole huge amount of other uh, stuff that we want to run through with you as well. Hmm. In particular, the TV preview screenings that were held on the Thursday, on the first day. Uh, of New York Comic Con Um, and it had Supergirl our first look at Supergirl episode 1 and also the pilot episode for Lucifer which has Tom Ellis who over here in Ireland in the UK is really well known for being in the Miranda sitcom Um, and it was really good to see him come and move on from that into a really witty edgy dark sexy kind of uh, look that I'm really looking forward to seeing. I have to say, Lucifer, for me, looked to be good, good
1: fun, uh, and I can't wait to see that. Yeah, definitely. Lucifer is, is uh, based on a character created by Neil Gaiman uh, in the Sandman comic books. Um, most people know who Lucifer really is. Obviously, it is the devil. Uh, it's been getting a lot of a uh, lot of quite negative press in the US um, from some right wing groups uh, who don't want a TV show called Lucifer. Uh, but it is fundamentally based on a comic book character, um, which is which is really interesting the show the show itself we saw the full pilot uh, on the previous screening night it's not it until 2016 i believe uh, january 2016 Um, i was fascinated to see the show because it was it's very different from what we've seen on tv uh maybe has some semblance to constantine but is um it's much more accessible i think uh to to most people it's based in la so it's a, it's not based in a fictional city like all the other warner brothers programs um And yeah, Tom Ellis is definitely a standout uh, in that show. Really good to see, you know, this character who can manipulate people's minds at a whim uh, and how he uses it within the pilot episode. Uh, Really excited to see how it gets taken up.
0: Yeah, but I mean, he still is Lucifer. He is the devil. He's just not playing to the script that God is providing, that he doesn't want to be in hell. He wants to be on earth, and he is still mischievous, he's still got his dark and threatening elements to him, but he's also in a, to an extent, in a twisted way, um, does have some kind of notion of justice from what i got from yes. this um, first episode yes I certainly so agree. it's lucifer but a different form of lucifer but he is the lucifer that we all know that would be in supernatural it's just that he's come up from below the ground and is now living happily in la uh, indulging in all that um decadence that you have in Hollywood and yeah. Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a very different show and definitely a much more adult show than the uh, than certainly the the WB programming that's been out there like Arrow and Flash and Supergirl which we we'll, which we'll talk about as well. Um, so we saw the Supergirl pilot that's due to air in uh, in the US this month. Um interesting pilot, uh definitely felt like Uh, Flash and Arrow, if you like those shows, definitely similar type to that. Um, A little bit of a bigger scale. Obviously, we get to see uh, the new James Olsen in uh, in Supergirl, which was quite interesting. Um, Seeing that character Jimmy Olsen uh, being reinvented for uh, for the new um, for the new kind of versions of TV. Uh, He's not the old. uh, He's definitely not the old. the old weedy, uh, nerdy kid that run, that ran round with uh, with Clark Kent. This is a very different version. Um, oh yeah, yeah, very uh, different. I got to see the panel for Supergirl on Sunday, which had uh, the carried the actor who plays James Olsen and the showrunner for Supergirl. And what they specifically talked about was. Um, that half the writers room for the show are female. Uh, so they will be writing a lot of the, a lot of the characters from a female perspective and they are able to write that obviously. Um, but they're, what they're saying is the show is absolutely not just for girls. It's for everybody who's into action, which includes men and women. And, um, I I have to say I kind of enjoyed it. Um, I want to see more of the show. Definitely, my I'm not as as sold on it as I was on Lucifer. Uh, what do you think of it yourself, John? What's uh, your feeling? I was intrigued. I I didn't quite know what to expect, and I liked how they were introducing
0: Supergirl and her connection with obviously Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't really know anything about Supergirl, so I I bought into the fact that she was sent after Superman to protect him. That I could deal with, and the fact that now all Essentially, the bad guys that you might see over the course of season one and certainly that you see um, in the first pilot episode are originating from the negative zone later on. So I thought that was believable to me. And so I'm actually looking forward to seeing it. And Melissa Benoist, who plays um, Supergirl, was really good. I totally got her in, uh, in the role. And we've got the intrigue then of the agency of the US government being involved. All really, really good, um, I thought. And something that I would certainly want to see um, more of before I decide whether I really like it or really don't like it. At this moment, I definitely bought into it and I would certainly give it a chance. And I did like it. I
1: liked the episode. Yeah, the good news for us Europeans is that Sky 1 have announced that they have bought the rights to that. So that will be their third Warner Brothers show, along with um Flash and Arrow. Uh, and now Supergirl joining the uh joining the lineup on Sky One over here in the UK and Ireland. Um the one thing that gives me a little bit of pause about the show, I must say, is it's obviously built for a much bigger network in the US. CBS are broadcasting it, which is much bigger than the uh than the channel that has Arrow and uh and Flash. So it's looking for much bigger ratings, which means it has to be a bit more broad than uh than a um, flash and arrow means it can't have characters like Gorilla Grodd showing up in the background just for a bit of a, a joke for comic book fans. It has to be a bit more broad. Um, the producer of the show or the showrunner for the show uh, specifically said that what they're looking to set up is a show that has a villain of the week every week, and we know how that worked out for Gotham in the first season. So it does give me a little bit of pause, uh, but I am interested to see how the how the show itself goes.
0: Yeah, and staying with the DC Universe, one other aspect that we had was the 30th anniversary of The Dark Knight and the introduction of The Dark Knight Volume 3 um, panel that was there, which had Brian Azzarello, uh, Frank Miller, and Jim Lee amongst other uh, luminaries. Obviously, Frank Miller and Brian Azzarello are doing the, the, the story, the artwork is done by Andy Kubert with uh, Klaus um, who was involved with Frank Miller on the original to The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Returns and um, they are, are involved with the artwork uh, and the inking so a really really um, interesting panel and um, the the artwork immediately looked like it was from the Dark Knight Absolutely. really had the imprint of of, of Frank Miller. Uh, Andy Kubert was saying, you know, and um, Brian Azzarillo, just they had the weight of that seminal graphic novel. They did feel it whilst they were writing it. But doing it in collaboration with the original writer and artist behind that helped so much. And there's some nice little spin-off comics as well that will be included in, um, in the releases of this publication. They'll all be set in the Dark Knight universe and they will include the Atom, Flash and Arrow with the hope that they will spin out into their own stories within that world, which is really, uh, really good. So. If you're a comic book fan, if you're a Dark Knight fan, if you're a Frank Miller fan, you
1: should be really getting excited for this cuz it looked really really cool. It certainly did and what a pleasure to have Frank Miller in the room. It was a real kind of surprise for everybody that he was that he was turning up. Uh, I think the audience reaction to it was huge. Um, he was unfortunately very, very sick last year, uh, leading to rumors that that's the reason why he didn't actually write most of The Dark Knight. Um, I encourage you, I think the actual full panel is being released this week. I encourage you to go and have a look at it. It's over on DC All Access, I believe. Um, they'll be releasing the full panel. I encourage you to go and, and watch it. Frank Miller is fantastic in the interview, In just in the way that he doesn't take uh, the DC line of questioning. Uh, He very much talks about this book the way he wanted to. um, The way he wanted to. He doesn't uh, answer the questions the way you would expect someone who works for DC. It's very much about um the fact that he was he gave gave some lead for Brian Azzarello, but this is Brian Azzarello's book. He's playing with Frank Miller's toys that he created in the DC world and he gives gives full respect to Brian Azzarello, And I thought that was really interesting. And just to your point uh, as well, the one question that came from the audience that I felt very sorry for, um, the guy who came all the way over from Ireland to ask a question of Frank Miller and Frank and Brian Azzarella. He asked the question uh, since you're setting up a Dark Knight universe, does this mean there's going to be more comment, more comics coming in that universe in the future? And the response he got was, well, duh, obviously. Um, felt really sorry for that yeah. poor guy who uh, who lined up to uh, to ask a question of what genuinely, I'm sure are. Just like ourselves, our big heroes, uh, for him. And, uh, got a bit of a, a, bit of a sharp response from Brian. Yeah. Uh, it's, it was, we're in the business of making money kind of thing. Um, but it looks like a really interesting book. I'm, I'm excited to see it. So Dark Knight 3, The Master Race, uh, first issue's coming out in, in about, uh, about a month's time, I believe.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think leave you with the thought that Frank Miller said, um, he got to play with DC's, uh, toy box, and now Brian Azzarello has got to play with Frank Miller's
1: version of DC's, and um, play box. So, really cool. While we're talking about Batman, uh, the other big cool thing that was at New York Comic Con that we got to see was the Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Costumes, really cool. I, I I love this kind of stuff. I must have been a big big geek for background stuff on TV shows and movies, as you may have noticed on the uh, ninety or so podcasts that we've recorded. Um, so we got to see the Batman v Superman costumes up close and personal. Um, firstly, obviously, we we saw. Uh, the Batman costume, his, his uh, standard one for Ben Affleck, but we also got to see the tech suit, which is very cool. Yeah, the big, big
0: Superman destroyer mech suit. Um, really cool. Um, eyes lit up. Um, and to be honest, Superman is going to have some problems trying to take that down yeah, definitely
1: re- but it's really cool definitely seeing it up close as well because you can see this fits over the top of batman standard costume you can definitely see the way it's the way it's positioned the way it's built really really cool and um, but we also got to see the wonder woman costume and what really struck me about that was from all the photographs i've seen in the past and most of them are taken through glass cases like the ones we were taking um but what i've missed i suppose is the is the color that's in there in the wonder woman costume there's there's definitely the standard blue and red in there that you'd expect it's definitely her lasso lasso is definitely golden um it's very difficult to see unless you could crack open the, that glass and take a photograph it would be very difficult to get that into into a photograph um i did want to crack open the, the, uh, <laughs> but you would have been escorted out of the venue very 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 quickly i'm sure uh, superman's costume looks cool looks like superman uh, yeah
0: dead rich though in terms of the color speaking of colors you know it's really vibrant um, and really well textured as is the batman suit the, the texture
1: on the suit is cool yeah, and but to be clear not like san diego comic-con that didn't have 40 different versions painted in different colors this is the actual ben affleck suit yeah. which is not Varying colors like we saw on the internet before uh, San Diego Comic-Con. And
0: I think as well, finally, there were a lot of gadgets that were included and that Help to move aspects of the Batman mech suit, um, which was really cool from from the the helmet area mm-hmm. down to the the grapple gun and and all of that. All these different gadgets involved with the mech suit and with Batman's
1: costume, which was super cool to see. Yeah, actually. wasn't it? I, I kind of yeah. get the feeling that we're going to see a lot more gadgets from this Batman than we've seen, than we saw in Christian Bale's version of Batman for uh, for Christopher Nolan it seemed like these are going to be the kind of cool stuff that we saw in the cartoons and in the comic books a lot more there's, there's things like the sticky bombs and uh, some batarangs in there that kind of stuff really really fun to see and those photographs are up on our Facebook uh, page on Goth- uh, Gotham TV Podcast on Facebook you can see them on there uh, and you can also make sure you see them on Twitter at uh, Gotham TV Podcast as well.
0: So that's all from the DC and Gotham elements of New York Comic
1: Con 2015 that we released uh, originally on under- the gotham tv podcast and finally here's our thoughts on the marvel universe the uh, the wonderful jessica jones premiere the daredevil season two footage that we got to see uh marvel's Agents of shield agent carter loads of stuff happened from marvel over there one of the big uh, one of the big presences i think this year at a, at a convention and this piece was originally recorded under our other podcast defenders tv podcast yeah, really delighted for uh, for this trip to New York Comic Con. gave us so much more Marvel coverage than we were expecting. Um, Big time. Yeah, yeah. Stuff we can't say too
0: much about because yes. there is an embargo. In particular, the full episode of Jessica Jones, episode one that is going to, uh, this November, all 13 episodes uh, on Netflix. It was such a surprise. We thought we were going to get little snippets, but we got the full
1: episode, and it really, really, really good. Yeah, yeah. we'll talk about it a bit. Uh, we're definitely not going to go into spoilers for it, because we know how few people have actually seen the episode in all its glory at New York Comic Con. Um, but we will go into our and, thoughts about it overall. Um, and we were told not to by Jeff Lowe. Absolutely. You know? and I, He's
0: quite clear that one of the reasons <laughs> why we get to see this the people that um are at New York Comic Con and who are in the panel the reason we get to see it is because we keep storm about the detail that we can we can tweet we can say how awesome it is or not whatever your thoughts are
4: mm-hmm.
0: and you can do broad brush strokes but don't give anything away about the plot any of the twists and or anything else um because that's why they allow people in these panels who have queued up or bought the tickets for New York Comic-Con to see them. And the same, I presume, with San Diego and any of the other uh, great uh, Comic-Cons out there. So, we are strict instructions from Jeff Loeb
1: himself. Yes, who is basically the director of SHIELD, so uh, I, I give him a lot of respect. <laughs> there were many guys walking around in uh, in uh, black suits uh, looking to take away people's phones and throw them out if they were recording footage from uh, from the panels and from the discussions that were going on and obviously of the of the pilot of Jessica Jones so uh, we're delighted to have seen it definitely and we'll talk about it a little bit more as we go so before we get into our coverage of uh, Marvel's panels at New York Comic Con um we do have a competition starting uh, on this episode of uh, of Defenders TV podcast uh, very simple competition all you got to do is provide us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or any other good podcast catcher that has a review function and um, if you can't review us pop us in an email to feedback at com. let us know your thoughts on any of the shows we've covered or any of the future shows and um, we'll put you into uh into the hat for some great prizes what did we pick up when we were at new york comic-con john we got the uh, jessica jones and daredevil posters mm-hmm. along with
0: a double Agent Shield, Agent Carter poster as well. Yep. Plus, we also picked up a tie-in comic um of Jessica Jones that ties in with the the series being released in in November and it's done by the same people that wrote Andrew Alias, that's Brian Michael Bendis as writer and Michael Gados as as the artist. So that's a really nice little introduction um for for these characters. Uh, and the competition will run through to the release of Jessica Jones on Netflix and the start of our podcast reviews and chats and discussions about these episodes. And um, so please send in your reviews on iTunes and any other good podcast catchers and reviews to us through feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com
1: But let's start off firstly with a little bit of an overall impression of New York Comic Con this year um, This is our second year attending New York Comic Con Last year we covered it on our sister podcast Gotham TV Podcast uh, where we cover the TV show Gotham and all the DC coverage, uh, at New York Comic Con last year. And this year on Gotham TV podcast, we got to sit down with the cast of Gotham again for the second year in a row. Uh, John got to interview many of the cast over there. So if you want to hear those interviews and you follow Gotham, make sure you go to GothamTVpodcast.com slash iTunes to get that most recent episode, or you can search us in any Good podcast catcher for Gotham TV podcast, and you can get those interviews and our thoughts on all the DC coverage that were over there. Um, but overall, for New York Comic-Con this year, John, what did you think of this year's lineup? I think from a Marvel perspective, it was absolutely
0: amazing. Absolutely. Uh, in particular, the Marvel Netflix, Jessica Jones and Daredevil panels. Mm-hmm they were really good and um, you know they had the cast there um they had a full panel of casting creators there so that was really good obviously the agent shields and agent Carter elements um they did what they did last year where it was a double act of Jeff Loeb and agent Coulson fantastic and um, really good still but you don't get the panel element you're really being treated to um a sizzle reel of Agent Carter, and again, a full episode of the latest one that's currently uh, about uh, or has aired at this stage uh, in the U.S. uh, was shown. Uh, And that's really, really cool as well. But with the Jessica Jones Daredevil, we got the panel. It was
1: great to hear from Kristen Ritter, and it was great to hear from Charlie Cox as well. Yeah, but let's bring it back to the other show that we covered on Defenders TV podcast, Agent Carter. I'm sure people are really interested in uh, in hearing what we saw over there. So we got a quick intro from Agent Carter herself, Hayley Atwell, uh, joined by James Darcy. James Darcy, yes.
0: They were in LA, yeah. obviously. And, uh, again, they were saying how, um, Howard Stark will not be returning, um, this season, season mm-hmm. two. Or is he? Because in true, true Hayley Atwell comedy form, it was all done on green screen, which you just didn't get whilst you're at the uh, at the panel uh, and they both walk into the screen and then you have harrod stark obviously played by um dominic cooper sweeping the floor of the set it's obviously all indoors it's not outside at all like you are led to believe whilst hayley uh, and uh, and james are saying hi we hope you enjoy season two they're currently filming in um in la so a really 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 good fun little thing which absolutely. again you know with the whole dub smash going on at the moment uh, is true to form and absolutely great and then we were introduced to a nice little sizzle reel
1: for season two. Yeah, yeah, it was a clip of uh, of James Darcy and uh, and Haley Atwell, uh, basically trying to decide which car they would take of Howard Stark's. Uh, fun little scene, actually, where uh, where where we were shown all the gadgets that Howard Stark has in his car. And unlike James Bond, these were all gadgets for. Um, Seduction. Uh, Yeah, seducing members of the opposite sex by the look of it. Uh, A lot of good fun, little bits and pieces here. Uh, Definitely a good comedy uh, between the two of them. They're definitely our favourite characters from the first season of the show.
0: Definitely. uh, Really good to see. And we're also treated to uh, a a list of the new cast and the cast who are coming back from season one. In particular, despite the prank by Hayley Atwell, we will have Dominic Cooper returning Mm -hmm. uh, to season two. And um, as Howard Stark, we were delighted to hear that Bridget Regan, who played one of our favorites from season one, Dottie Underwood, the Russian assassin, that she will be returning she is certainly hot on the heels
1: of, of peggy carter in season two yeah and we heard that chad michael murray is returning uh this time as captain uh, and we will also see enver jokash uh returning both from season one uh, of agent carter and both in captain positions which is quite interesting so we uh, both got a promotion out of the uh out of the um defense of uh of new york In season one.
0: Yeah, maybe East East Coast, West Coast captains, uh, here. So maybe a bit of, uh, going back to New York, even though season two is primarily set in, in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then in terms of the, the new cast, one of the big standouts for me was that we will be seeing Mrs. Anna Jarvis. We, we had discussed how it was great not to see her and to have her off screen and referred to by Edwin. But, of course, we
1: are delighted to hear that Lottie Verbeek is going to be playing Mrs. Anna Jarvis. It's quite cool I think i'd even uh, I'd even said in season one, I was wondering whether Bridget Regan could possibly be um be Annie, Anna Jarvis that that was the reason she was being kept aside, and that Jarvis had never actually met her during season one, so potentially that she was going to be uh, playing his wife, and that could be the big twist for season two, but it uh, looks like that's not correct. That's not the case, no. All right, so as, as usual, my speculation is a little bit off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we have three... Other new characters coming in for season two, we have Reggie Austin, who will be playing Jason Wilkes. Mm -hmm. We have Curry Graham, who will be playing Calvin Chadwick. And then finally, we have Wynne Everett, who will be playing Whitney Frost.
1: That's right. Madam Mask, the uh, the big villain for season two, along with Bridget Regan, uh, is coming to join the show. So really interesting.
0: Yeah. Can't wait for Season 2, which will be next year, 2016,
1: uh, no date yet confirmed. Yeah, yeah. not a huge amount from uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. other than the actual episode, as we said. Um, one thing I will say, if anybody has the opportunity to go to a convention like this where they show an episode for the first time, um, go see a Marvel one. Uh, the reactions of the audience to, to a Marvel episode like Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D., a show that's been going on three years now and has some of the most ardent fans in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, really, uh, watching them and their reaction to some of the characters like Fitz and Simmons who both appeared in this episode and um, huge reactions from the crowd big ahs and big ooze and uh, really enjoyable to watch with the big crowd yeah
0: it was fantastic and we were basically treated to um, episode three where we see the return of one of the big characters to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s universe.
1: Yeah, yeah, hilarious episode as well. Some really good yeah. fun in there. Uh, it's really good action. So uh, well worth checking out. I think that that returns in the UK and Ireland at the end of October. So uh, hopefully we'll get to see that episode again in November. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Really good fun. Um, so after that, John, what was our next Marvel panel? Um, we got to see the Lego Marvel Avengers panel on Saturday morning, which uh, will be of interest Honestly, I promise uh for those of you that are gamers, uh and those of you that are Agent Carter fans because it was confirmed in this panel by uh, by the guys from TT Games that not only is Lego Marvel Avengers covering the Mar- Marvel Avengers Assemble movie to Marvel's Avengers Age of Ultron, uh it's also covering some of the MCU movies in between, including some of the TV series in between, and we got to see a little Agent Carter level, which I thought was fantastic, uh, with all the voice work provided by Haley Atwell, which I thought was really interesting.
0: Yeah, it's unlikely that we will see Daredevil there, because obviously one of the things that the, the developers from TT Games were saying is, is that, you know, at the end of the day, Lego games, whilst they're enjoyed by adults as much as children, is also designed primarily as a sofa game where you can pass the controller around amongst family members. And obviously Daredevil, as it aired on Netflix, um, is a darker version, a much bloody um, version of these, these characters. So whilst we will still see Daredevil likely uh, as a playable character, it won't necessarily, from what we gathered, be the Charlie Cox version of this character. But you never know. If it's taken out of context, um, as long as there's no particular storyline... As the guy from TT said himself, having a guy's head smashed a bit by a car door is not necessarily the way or direction
1: that LEGO Games wants to take their franchise. <laughs> Absolutely. And I totally agree with the decision, I must admit. Um, you know, the one thing that would be terrible for the LEGO Games is to encourage a six or seven year old to turn on Netflix and start watching Daredevil thinking this is the character from the computer game they just played. It's not, it's not made for them. It would be a terrible way for, um, for them to have that character used. It should be encouraging them to watch the Marvel movies that are made for them obviously, and we hopefully hopefully read the comic books that have these characters. They definitely confirm that Jessica Jones will appear in the game, Luke Cage will appear, Iron Fist, and hundreds of other characters that uh, that people have been requesting, so really excited for that one
0: yeah, and as as Derek said. We will get treated to cutscenes scenes from um, Captain America, the first Avenger, the Winter Soldier. There was Thor Dark World will be included. Mm-hmm. Iron Man 3 will be included in it as well, as well as Avengers Assemble and Avengers Age of Ultron amongst others. And one of the other great things that we're going to get to see as well is mechanized Stanley. <laughs> he will... Form his own mech suit from pencil holders, typewriters, and telephones, and he will be able to battle it out with the Iron Man Hulkbuster. This is Buster Stanley, Hulkbuster Stanley. Can't wait to see it. That was hilarious, as and well, of course. Yeah. There's all the smattering of the comedy uh, and the, the pranking, you know, with the insertion of chickens and pigs and steaks and pork chops going on. <laughs> so really, again, it will be a good, fun, uh, game, which can't wait for and is out early next year, January That's 2016.
1: Right. That's right. And features all the voice cast. It's very similar to the way they did the, uh, the Hobbit game where they took the, the, um, actual cast recording and put it over the top of their their brand of comedy and their brand of humour so that's really interesting but hearing again that Haley Atwell recorded additional voice work for her role uh, kind of like the way that, uh, that Phil Coulson himself did for uh, the first Lego Marvel Avengers game or Lego Marvel game excuse me um, he did all the cover all the additional recording for that so this time we get um Hayley Atwell to do it uh, for for this game, so really interesting they they showed as I said a, a kind of a flashback clip of uh, Peggy Carter in a kind of sepia colored uh, diner uh directly out of the TV show. You could definitely tell that it's being taken from that. Uh, I thought it was great fun, really excited to see it and one of the other things that came out from the panel uh, from Tt games is their a- absolute dedication to making sure this is as authentic as possible, and um, they talked about the uh, the room where they build every single Item that's in the game is built by people who build Legos all day, and that's the best job in the world. Um, that that's what they do. Uh, if it can't be built in Lego, it can't go into the game. Is essentially their their uh, their method of doing this. So that was great fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so on to the big thing for us, which was definitely the Netflix Marvel panel in the main stage that looked at Jessica Jones and Daredevil. And one thing. That will be remiss of us to say we are Defenders TV podcast, and we got to see the Defenders as they are so far Uh construed. That is Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and Luke Cage. Played by Charlie Cox, Kristen Ritter, and Mike Coulter. It was Great form! The reaction from the hall was huge. What a moment! Yeah, Jeff Loeb said he was going to get into trouble for doing this. He ran off stage and pulled out the three defenders that are known about already, and it was great. And we were so happy to see this. It's I mean, cool. the roof just exploded in this hall as they came out and then were quickly shuffled off back out as Jeff Loeb kind of apologized to his colleagues in Netflix um, to say, you know, that's fine, but now we're going to make up for it. And we went straight into um, some sizzle reels of Daredevil and not only a sizzle reel from Daredevil, not only a panel with the cast there, but also then the Jessica Jones panel with a full airing of the first episode of Jessica Jones that will be released with the other 12 in November. Literally, what are we talking about? Two weeks away, three weeks away. So we can't wait for this. And whilst we can't say too much about the, the episodes in details, we will give you a little um summary of what we felt, um, you know, we fainted. We whooped. <laughs> we clapped. We shouted. It was brilliant. Well, um, we
1: just we just hop into that now. Let's uh, let's talk about it now yeah. because we're we're clearly chomping at the bit to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think we've mentioned it a bit six times so far in the podcast, but uh, but yes, really big moment, really big surprise for the audience. Um, Jeff Loeb does this thing at New York Comic Con. He did it this year and last year, where he essentially pretends that he's forgotten to bring a clip along of the show and gets encouraged by one of the members of cast to show a bigger clip. Um, he did it last year with Agents of. Shea he did it on, on Friday with the Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. panel again. And this time he did it with Christian Ritter. And she essentially said, well, why don't you show the guys the first episode? Um, so we got to see the first episode. So a couple of things to jump, jumped out at me, I suppose, to, to talk about. Uh, number one is the opening titles, which I thought were really cool, really uh, noir. Not as... Um, not as intense, I suppose, or not as as immediately music wise as attractive as the Daredevil soundtrack or the Daredevil theme tune. Um, it gets builds up quite a lot throughout the theme tune and gets much more uh, new Irish and much more kind of seventies cool uh, by the end of the theme. So that was one thing that and out grander
0: to me. as well. It, it it builds up from very small humble beginnings and, and becomes bigger and bigger and more expansive as a piece of music. And it goes really well with the and um, the, the the look of the opening credits which again are very different from daredevil so um i I was pretty taken by them but i mean as an overall thought for me and here's here's a load of adjectives you know (laughs) this is neon and noir like i love the 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 private investigation feel and the all the neon lighting it really adds huge atmosphere to to the episode and i mean this is again like daredevil brought the violence this is super sexy and sassy this is bringing um physical relationships certainly from the first episode uh much more to to the front but it is also really creepy really intense and is challenging and um, all i can say is that David Tennant couldn't be there, but he he, he um, popped a video, because he's doing a, a play in London at the moment, to say hi, and he thanked everyone, and he kind of introduced the first episode. And I have to say that what he brings to that first episode, with the minuscule amount of screen time that he is given is, quite frankly, astonishingly amazing. And I think that's all I can really say, is yeah. that he hardly um is there, very briefly. But what he brings to the tenseness and the creepiness of that first episode is, quite frankly, like awesome it's brilliant and and it's like hats off to David Tennant hats off to director and and the other cast and crew who like make it feel like that and definitely Uh, I thought that was
1: amazing for me and Melissa Melissa Rosenberg was at the the panel um, who's the showrunner for this show I can really see what she's going for with it and again uh, one huge thing I would say unfortunately some idiot recorded some of this footage from season uh, the episode one popped it up on YouTube. I believe it's been taken down now hopefully it has been uh, don't watch it uh, I didn't watch it myself, but there's no possible way that watching a 20 minute version uh, edited from a phone on YouTube would give you any kind of feeling of how the show actually looks in its entirety. Avoid spoilers if you can. Uh, if you can possibly for the episode, I was pretty shocked that they actually showed a full episode uh, at New York comic-con. I'm surprised how few spoilers have actually come out and I don't want to be the one to spoil it for anybody. Uh, watch it in all its glory on November 20th. We'll be there right with you. And we'll have our podcast up that day uh, of our actual review of it and our actual thoughts of the episode. So really looking forward to actually talking about it in depth, especially with Irene and Chris, who obviously couldn't come with us to New York uh, to see it at comic-con. Um, but yeah, we won't be spoiling it for them, and we 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 don't want to spoil it for anybody else because there's some really interesting stuff, and it's a very different show to Daredevil already. Um, one thing that w- that I would say is similar about it is it does feel like a pilot. This first episode, it does feel like they're really are introducing you to a lot of characters throughout it. But remember, it's all coming out in the same day on Netflix, which the best part about it. It means, unlike us, you can just watch the second episode immediately afterwards, uh, and I'll, I I'm really looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um I think the main thing we want to convey is just how excellent it was and um how kind of jaw-droppingly great and, and also <laughs> different from Daredevil. Yeah. So it's 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 not a copy and it's not the same. It's a different showrunner. It's a different take, you know. So um it's an amazing introduction to a Marvel superhero that most people won't know about and in fact i would say hands up in all honesty i didn't know too much about until i knew about marvel netflix daredevil and i went out to to read some of the alias comics Mm -hmm. so if you want to know more about jessica jones in the few weeks that remain till um it airs on on netflix Go and search your local comic shop um, for for Alias or for some of the other Jessica Jones story arcs. Yeah, um, definitely. This... And you'll be surprised. You will you will really latch on to
1: this lady. Yeah, yeah. This definitely feels like it is taken from Alias. There, um, there at the comment that was made by Jeff Loeb was that he was talking to Brian Michael Bendis, who really did create the character of Jessica Jones and really gave her all of her characteristics. Uh, he was talking to him after showing him this pilot episode and. He gave his absolute stamp of approval and said that this show is going exactly where he wanted it to go. All those years ago, 15 years or so ago, uh, when he th- was originally thinking of the concept of bringing this to TV, uh, they've taken it really well and it's, it's well worth watching. We'll be talking all about that in about a month's time. Uh, but a couple of other things from the Daredevil panel. Um, we got to meet Elektra, not just... Um, for the first time absolutely uh, that was really good fun she's a, she's an actress that I haven't actually seen anything else prior to this um, but she commented on the fact that really the reason that she got the role was because she's a black belt in karate and could kick Jeff Loeb's ass um, she knows her stuff and she looked
0: <laughs> awesome in the quick sizzle and um, reel that we got of her, yeah. which is now available up um on the YouTube Netflix's
1: YouTube um site. Yeah, I'll make sure I put a link in the in the show notes yeah. for that so you can have a so look. So you
0: can check that out. And of course we got to see the Punisher as oh, well. Frank Castle. Um, Frank Castle was there and it was really good to see John Berntall uh, there. Um again seemed really humble um, for, for the character and honored to be, to be representing Frank Castle in Daredevil Season 2.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure whether they've actually released this panel over on uh, Marvel Entertainment's YouTube channel. If they have, check it out, uh, cause I will definitely make a comment about John Bernthal. Um, we saw him at The Walking Dead, uh, premiere, fan premiere, I think on the Friday, so the night before this, uh, this Marvel panel. And he was a really kind of big character, a big, you know, open, you know, kind of, I don't know, arrogance not the word I'm looking for, but um, with a really big kind of uh, American guy, I suppose. He
0: was in Madison Square Gardens. Absolutely. Of course he had to be big and brash and open because he had an entire auditorium yeah. such as Madison Square Gardens to fill. Um, it was a different version of John Berntall.
1: Um here on the main stage. Um, yeah, yeah. he basically seemed to be really humble about the character, seemed to be taking a lot of pride in, uh, in playing the part of Frank Castle, who if you don't know and a lot of people don't know the Punisher character but um, he's a character that's come back from war has suffered some severe losses and suffers the loss of his family. Um, John Bernthal's comment was he knows how important this character is to the US military, knows how important he is to the police and armed forces uh, in the US and he'll respect that in his portrayal of the character, which kind is an interesting insight to the character for me um, he's not playing him like a, car- a comic book character anybody who's seen uh, Walking Dead the first two seasons at least uh, of the show will know how intense an actor John Bernthal is um, I can really see that he wants to bring that same intensity to the character but seems to be playing it with a bit of a different uh, spin on it than we've seen in the movies uh, in the past the three films that were made of The Punisher and um, he seems to be taking it very seriously and seems to be taking, uh, you know, very much what a lot of actors do, which is justify the essential essence of the character uh, in how you play it. So he doesn't sound like he's going to be, um, uh, the, the, just a, a big violent guy with guns. Uh, it sounds like he's got a lot of backstory to him that we hopefully will find out with, with season two.
0: But he did say the word beg uh, on the sizzle reel, which had to be shown again because everyone was, shouting clapping cheering so much during the first um run of this sizzle reel which kind of does look at the the plaudits for the season one and teases out these season two elements that no one could hear what he said everyone knew that he said something but no one knew exactly what he said and it was definitely sounded like beg so He's still a hard ass and he's still going to kick ass but he is as well. I have justifying that.
1: Yeah, and we did have our our a discussion after the panel obviously to see if we could all work out what uh, what it was what was said and in, in that we we've come up with bag I think. Um I was talking to David Wang, one of our listeners uh after uh, after the footage had been released, and he believes the word is pay um, or pain, something like that. So we'll just have to see. Uh, it was ve- it was really interesting, though. Exactly as Jordan says, um, very much everybody thought it was a sizzle reel for season one. Everybody thought it was a uh, a big a promotional piece for season one. So nobody was expecting when when the, it faded to black at the end of Watch on Netflix, essentially, uh, that we were going to get season two. So the applause from the audience drained out almost everything in the in the, uh, <laughs> yeah. in the second part, which was the season two. Trailer.
0: You get to see Electra put on her, her mask. And of course, there's a great image of an x-ray, um, of the Punisher's face. And you get that classic sort of, um, skull look. Um, really a nice twist on, on the representation of the Punisher's image. Really, really cool. And of course, Charlie Cox is returning. Deborah Ann Wall is returning. So is Night Nurse as well. Played by Rosario Dawson. Foggy's returning. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and Stick's returning. It's going to be really, really interesting to see how they bring him back in season two. There was a really good interview with, um, with Marco Ramirez, who is the new showrunner, um, for season two. One of the two new showrunners actually for season two. Uh, he was really interesting to hear his thoughts on it. Uh, essentially he was saying that he worked very closely with, uh, Stephen DeKnight, um, who was the showrunner for season one, uh, Andrew Goddard, um, when they were setting up the show and very much they were coming at uh, at marvel from a completely different way of looking at it didn't realize there was an audience for a show of this uh, adult in nature didn't realize they were going to have the kind of plaudits that they got for season one and the viewers that they got for season one they definitely announced that this is one of the biggest shows netflix has ever had um, nobody knows what that means in actual number terms um, but by having all of that and all the great responses they got from the audience what they've essentially said is now they know now they know how far they can push it and look out season two is going to be a big one So I thought that was really interesting.
0: Yeah, really good. And he basically also said, you know, this is developing. This is uh, the existing characters setting up new ones. And now that they've got the world created by Stephen DeKnight and Drew Goddard, that they can push those envelopes and play in it further. So it'll be absolutely excellent to see. um, If the quality remains
1: the same, this will be an awesome season two. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, I think that's it for the Daredevil and, and Jessica Jones panel. Uh, just suffice to say, obviously, the full cast were at the Jessica Jones panel. It was really cool to see Mike Coulter, who's playing Luke Cage, uh, sit on the panel and have a chat with all, with everybody around him. He's already confirmed that he started filming Luke Cage, which I thought was uh, very interesting. Uh, he he says he only, he only appears in a portion of uh, Jessica Jones, the series. Uh, we did see a little bit of him in uh, in episode one. Um just thought it was quite cool. Carrie-Anne Moss was also there on the panel um who will be a
0: great new addition to the cast and will, again, further push uh, the boundaries and the envelope of, of what to expect from a Marvel-Netflix collaboration. Really, really good.
1: Yeah, and again, interesting hearing her speak of it, very much talking about uh, Jessica Jones in terms of a new kick-ass female character she was very lucky she said to play the part of a really kick-ass female character back in, the, in her days in the matrix which we all remember her from uh, and she's she's looking at uh, this new version of a kick-ass female character uh, she says in christian Ritter, and really saying that uh that she's taken the mantle from those older uh characters if you can say older um and uh, and taking it forward and uh, yeah i definitely would agree with her on that it was really cool It was a
0: really, really good panel. I think, uh, you know, with that, I think that's our Marvel section from New York Comic-Con 2015. If you want to find and listen to our Jessica Jones coverage, which will be kicking off on its release in November by Netflix, remember, just go to us at DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes, or you can listen to us on the website at www.DefendersTVPodcast.com. You can also uh, listen to us on any other good podcast. Catcher, such as Beyond Pause, Player FM, Podcast Addicts, or Stitcher. Just search Defenders TV Podcast. We are on uh, Twitter, at DefendersCast. And you can join our Facebook
1: page uh, and group. Again, just search Defenders TV podcast. And while you're checking out those episodes on on iTunes, while you're waiting for Jessica Jones, make sure you check out our episodes all about Daredevil. We did do the entire first season of Daredevil. We covered Agent Carter on our episodes. So if this is your first time listening to us, make sure you go back and listen to our old episodes so you get an idea of the format and how we cover uh, our shows coming up to Jessica Jones so if you want to hear all
0: our coverage of new york comic-con including gotham including the walking dead along with defenders you can also catch that at tvpodcastindustries.com forward slash iTunes, Or, again, you can hear it on the website at www.tvpodcastindustries.com. I think one final thing for me is that we also got to meet Robin from Defenders Podcast, um, which was great. Uh, Really good chap. Really nice to to meet him. Glad he made it safely back to um, Vermont after his four days at New York Comic Con uh, along with, with ourselves. And hopefully we'll get to meet other members of that
1: Marvel Netflix podcast, too. Yeah, and while we were there, we also got to meet um the owner of the Twitter handle, Daredevil Room. Uh, not, Absolutely. I'm not sure whether she wants us to share her name, so I'm not going to, but um really a pleasure to meet, uh, meet up with some fellow Daredevil fans and the excitement after the Jessica Jones reveal and the footage for Season 2 of Daredevil was palpable between the four of us nerding out at New York Comic-Con, which yeah. is the best thing to do when you're at a Comic-Con, anyway. Um Yeah. Definitely. Exactly. Yes. We put all the caffeine huggers at Starbucks to shame. We looked
0: more <laughs> caffeineed out than than they did because we were truly
1: uh excited. Uh, obviously, make sure you enter our competition to win those wonderful prizes, the original artwork of uh of Jessica Jones for Netflix, the artwork of of Daredevil for Netflix which we picked up at New York Comic Con. I'm sure you've seen those images around. We also got the poster for Agent Carter season 2 for uh, Agents of Shield season 3 and that tie-in comic which ties together the world of Daredevil on Netflix and Jessica Jones on Netflix, as John mentioned earlier on, written by Brian Michael Bendis and by Michael Gedos. All you have to do is just send in a review to us on iTunes, DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes, or review us on any other good podcast catcher, and send us in your feedback to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com.
0: So thank you so much for listening. We will be back for the Marvel Netflix Jessica Jones podcast coverage from ourselves at Defenders TV Podcast with also Chris and Irene. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk
1: to you soon. Bye.
0: So I think that's about it. It's like, it was an excellent event, loads to do, really good fun, knackering as well, oh, but yeah. really good fun. And so we just want to really thank you for, for listening. Remember to follow us on tvpodcastindustries.com forward slash iTunes. Subscribe there, sign up um, via any other good podcast catcher as well. If you want to, if you're on Android. You can just search TV Podcast Industries on Beyond Pod, Podcast Addict, Player FM, or Stitcher. At the moment, we have Hannibal up there. We're looking to bring you X-Files in the new year on TV Podcast Industries. Again,
1: thank you so much for listening. Um, Keep sending in your feedback to feedback at Industries.com. While we're not actually recording podcasts right now for the show, we will be coming back pretty soon with... As I said, our Hannibal uh, coverage on Season 3. We're going to hopefully do a recap episode pretty soon around the time that the DVD Blu-ray set is coming out in the UK and Ireland, which is, I believe, at the end of October. So we'll be coming back with that pretty soon. So make sure you send in your feedback to John and Irene for TV Podcast Industries at feedback at com. Uh, We'll definitely read it out on a future show. And we will respond, obviously, to you. Uh, Well, John and Irene will uh, respond to your uh, your thoughts on anything to do with Hannibal, anything to do with this podcast, and anything to do with New York Comic Con, Marvel, DC. Make sure you follow us. Our hub for all of our episodes is over on tvpodcastindustries.com. You'll see links to each of our websites, which cover the Marvel Universe, the DC Universe, and now the TV Universe, uh, which is anything that really takes our fantasy from fantasy to sci-fi to horror really, over on TV Podcast Industries. So uh, delighted to join us for this episode. Thanks so much for listening.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for listening. Bye. <laughs>